Welcome to the Hannah Miller Show. And here she is, Hannah Miller. Outspokenly conservative and unashamedly Christian, this is Hannah Miller, and this is what happened this week. So we're going to talk about, this week we're going to talk about Twitter, we're going to talk about Elon Musk, we're going to talk about motive, we're going to talk about uh, the... The story of the 10-year-old girl who traveled from Ohio to Indiana to obtain an abortion. We're going to talk about that just a little bit. And then we're going to talk about the southern border. And we're going to camp there for a little bit and what's been going on down there. So, very first thing, Elon Musk. So, if you didn't hear, this week he backed out of the deal to buy Twitter. Musk indicated in a letter that he was withdrawing from the massive deal to buy Twitter over the number of fake accounts on the platform. If you remember, that was kind of a big part of, that was a deal breaker for him when he first drew up the contract. He tweeted all about this. Twitter claims only about 5% of accounts are fake, but Musk claimed in June that as many as 20% of accounts of accounts are fake, if not more. Twitter is now suing Musk, saying he uh, breach of contract, that he breached the contract. Musk reportedly agreed to pay Twitter a billion dollars if he withdrew from the deal. Personally, I don't view Musk as a card-carrying conservative. There's a lot of people who have, you know, ever since he kind of came out championing free speech, they just kind of glommed onto him and made him some sort of hero of conservatism. He's not. I think most people probably realize that he is not, that he has this... appreciation for freedom of speech. Uh, But that's really it. He, you know, is paying for his employees to travel to other states to get abortions if they live in states that have outlawed abortion, that kind of thing. So he's obviously not a card-carrying conservative. But anyway, all that to say, uh, he's become a free speech, free speech champion though, recently. And Musk tweeted out the following after Twitter made their announcement that they were going to sue him. Quote, they said I couldn't buy Twitter. Then they wouldn't disclose bot info. Now they want to force me to buy to buy Twitter in court. Now they have to disclose bot information in court. End quote. So the bot issue, the fake account issue, is a deal breaker for Musk. And I don't really care what his motives are. I don't care what the, his motives were originally. What this tells me is that Twitter really isn't America or the world, for that matter. The crazy progressivism espoused on that platform does not have as much of a stronghold on the culture as they would like you to think. And for me, that is the underlying thing that we're that we're seeing being exposed right here. And some people say they think that that was Elon Musk's motive all along, that he never really actually planned to buy Twitter. They His motive was to expose uh, how little free speech actually happened on there, how many bots, how many fake accounts were uh, that make up Twitter and that kind of thing. And I don't really care. I don't really care what his motive was. At the end of the day, he's a business guy. This was uh, what's most important to him is his bottom dollar. Most likely, it just has to do with money for for him. But this is obviously something that's also very important to him. And it's being exposed either way. No matter how you look at it, it's being exposed. Whatever his motives are, this is being exposed for us is how many fake accounts actually make up Twitter. And so much of the, the this progressivism that is espoused and championed on that platform and so we're we're seeing that maybe this stuff doesn't have as much of a stronghold, like I said, in the culture as anyway, not as much as they want us to think it does. 
But why lie about it? You're asking. And I know you're thinking out there like, why would they lie about it? Why would they care? Why, why would they lie about bots? Why would they want to hide how many fake accounts? Why would they want to hide how little or maybe that this progressivism isn't as strong in the culture as uh, they want you to believe? Because of this. Because convictions are contagious. Con- convictions are the fruit of courage. And courage is contagious. Cowardice is also contagious. But convictions are the fruit of courage. And that is contagious. And if they can control, either through social media shame and cancellation, or social media praise and popularity, what our young people view as right or wrong, true or false, those convictions and values will take root because they're contagious. And they want to deceive you into believing that these convictions are more contagious than maybe they actually are. In a culture where social status follows us everywhere we go in our very pockets, on our phones, and on various platforms, it's not just about being the loudest voice in the room. It's about being the voice that young people perceive as promoting that which gains them the much-coveted social media approval. For kids nowadays, one of the most terrifying things that can happen to them is cancellation or social media shame. To be drugged through uh, and, and doxxed and all of these things on social media. Because where, and I talk about this in my parenting, in my Raising Digital Natives uh, talk that I give, these kids... You know, it used to be that you could leave your social status at school when you went home. And you could get away from it for a little while. You could have a break. You can't do that anymore. Your social status, whatever it may be, if you're the low man on the totem pole or you're the most popular and you have to work extra hard all of the time to keep that status of popularity, whatever it may be, follows you all of the time, everywhere you go, 24 hours a day, and on various platforms, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all of the things, and I don't even know, you know, Reddit, all the, all the places that they're at now. It follows them, and it constantly hangs in the back of their mind. So this carries a lot of weight, and is... I think a very important thing to know about Twitter. And I don't know what if, you know, like I said, some people think this was hit Musk's underlying motive. I don't I don't know, I don't care. But either way, it seems like it's going to be exposed and I'm going to find it very interesting when it does. All right, moving on. One of the other stories um, that I want to talk about is the story of the 10-year-old girl who traveled across state lines, purportedly, from Ohio to Indiana. So when the Supreme Court decision was announced that they were going to send this uh, the Roe v. Wade back to the states and it was going to be a state decision, this story started making waves. It got shared all over the internet. It went viral about this young girl who... I had to have, and she was 10 years old, she was pregnant, and she had to travel out of Ohio to have, uh, because, to obtain an abortion, because Ohio's abortion ban went into effect. And we have more information on that. First of all, the Attorney General for Ohio said that 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 girl should not have had to travel outside of the state. So that shouldn't have happened, whether she did or not. It does seem, though, that the story is true, because... 
Police in Columbus, Ohio, arrested 27-year-old Gershon, and I can't pronounce his last name, uh, but Gershon on Tuesday after he allegedly confessed to sexually assaulting the child on at least two occasions. He's been charged with rape, a first-degree felony, and a first-degree felony, uh, or a first-degree felony. I'm sorry according to the Columbus Dispatch. So he's been charged with rape, which is a first-degree felony, according to the Columbus Dispatch. So it does seem that this story was true. Uh, Whether they actually did travel across state lines, I don't know. Um, You know, if they did, according to the Attorney General of Ohio, it was unnecessary. But to me, the bottom line of this story is on the heels of the talk that dad and I did last week. This is just another example of Democrats, of progressives, and our culture claiming the solution to a problem is the murder of a child in the womb instead of addressing the real problem, a rapist freely crossing our border. Because that's what this was. He was an illegal immigrant. But nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to talk about the fact that... Our borders are, and we have so, I mean, they're just totally wide open. And folks just like this are coming across every day. They don't want to talk about that. They don't want to actually talk about real solutions. They just want to just get rid of the evidence. Kill the baby in the womb. That's the solution. The death of the baby in the womb is always their solution. And it's just, I'm real, 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 real tired of us not addressing and getting justice for this little girl, for not addressing the issue at the border, for not addressing other rape situations, all these other things that are a tragedy. And instead, our answer is always just, well, just kill the baby. Anyway, we talked about that last week. But data from U.S. Customs and Border Patrol shows that police frequently arrest Hispanic illegal immigrants for rape. Almost daily, border agents apprehend previously deported illegals who have been convicted of myriad sexual crimes, many of them against children. More than 80 sex offenders have been caught at the southern border since January 1st, and almost all of them were previously deported. Do you hear what I'm saying? Almost all of that 80 that have been caught since January of this year have been caught before and sent back to their country of origin. And now they're back again being sent. I mean, how, how many times are we just going to spend our money doing We're spending your tax dollars to do that. You know that? To just give these guys a free ride back and forth. So far this fiscal year, which began October 1st, border agents have arrested a total of 7,253 criminals at the border, of which 219 were for sex crimes. So while we're speaking about the border, though, we have to talk about what's going on in Texas and Arizona with immigration. What grounds do these states have for enforcing immigration law, and do they have any? So of the nine border patrol sectors along the southern border, nearly 62% of illegals apprehended at the border were caught 
in the five Texas Border Patrol sectors, and 42.6% of the border total were in two Texas sectors, the Rio Grande Valley and Del Rio. So while all the states along the border are concerned, Texas has over a thousand miles of border and thus is the most affected by poor immigration policies, and almost half of all border apprehensions happen into in those two Texas sectors. Unsurprisingly, since border has ditched uh, since border since Biden has ditched nearly every border policy implemented by Donald Trump that had brought a measure of operational control to the U.S.-Mexico line, Abbott and Texas have stepped in to fill the enforcement void by launching uh, Operation Lone Star. And so there's people that that are questioning that and questioning this labeling the border crisis as an, quote, invasion. So I want to talk about those things. And that's why I asked those questions What grounds do Arizona and Texas have for enforcing immigration law and do they have any? Because that's the, that's the route that Arizona is beginning to take and Texas is getting a lot of pressure to take. And they have, they have put their foot in the direction of doing that by launching Operation Lone Star. And while I applaud states and counties for taking action, and I am all about, believe me, all about bottom-up local action, there's a problem. Texas can arrest illegal migrants and charge them on state grounds for trespassing, theft, drug trafficking, or vandalism, but it cannot deport them under current law. Only the federal government can do that. With the recent ruling by the Supreme Court that the Biden administration can end the Remain in Mexico policy, it is slowly sinking in for border states that the Biden administration is going to do nothing to stimmy the flow of illegal immigrants. I don't know why it's taken so long. They should have known from the very get-go that the Biden administration wasn't going to help them at all. Actually, as a matter of fact, they were going to roll out the welcome mat and they were going to make it even worse. But just so you know, just as a note, this ruling by the Supreme Court on Remain in Mexico policy isn't going to make matters a whole lot worse since the Biden administration isn't really enforcing it anyway. So of about 1.2 million illegal aliens encountered, and I'm talking about encountered, not necessarily apprehended or let go or sent back or whatever, but encountered at the southern border from December through May, Only about 5,000 were required to remain in Mexico. So the border is truly a disaster, but ending the the, uh, MPP, the Remain in Mexico policy, as the Biden folks are using it, isn't likely to make things much worse because they already quit using it a long time ago. It really wasn't being used very much at all anyway. So if you're thinking that, oh man, this thing is about to really blow out of control and it's going to get so much worse, they weren't really implementing it. The word on the street, people knew that. Uh, So it, it was, it it probably won't make much of a difference now. So that's a little bit reassuring. So I guess that's a, just to reassure you a little bit that things are probably not going to explode. It's not good. We should definitely still have that policy in place and be doing that. But you know, it's not like things are going to get really out of control. They're already out of control and it's not going to get a whole lot worse just because of this one policy not being implemented because it wasn't being implemented to begin with since the Biden administration took office. All right, 
This is why, though, some Texas counties, some House Republicans and others are calling for Abbott to declare the illegal immigration crisis an invasion, which they argue would grant them greater powers and allow them to deport illegals. So here's the argument. The argument is that language in Article I of the Constitution, which allows for states to, quote, engage in war, end quote, when it has been, quote, actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay, end quote, without the approval of Congress. So, basically, this, the language in Article I of the Constitution allows for states to engage in war if there's essentially imminent danger, if they're being invaded, and the, it would take too long for the federal government to respond. They are allowed to engage without the approval of Congress. Because remember, it's supposed to be Congress that uh, declares war. That was a lot of issue uh, with our previous presidents is they went into war. They engaged war without going the route of Congress and having Congress actually declare war. They just did it and engaged. That was Bush. That was Obama. So all of those guys kind of uh, dabbled in all of that. But that's a conversation for another day. But this argument is, is that if they're being, they can, the states can engage in war if they're being invaded and it's, and it takes too long for Congress to come to a decision, basically. They also note, Article 4 says the U.S. shall protect each state against invasion. So there's that word again. Abbott has so far not issued a declaration but he did dance with the term invasion in his recent executive order. He mentioned it. He mentioned Article 5 and quoted it. So that word was in his declaration, in his executive order on what's going on. So let me back up a little bit. In February, Arizona Attorney General Mark uh, Brnovich issued a legal opinion. The very first legal ruling of its kind declaring the crisis an invasion. And he argued that the definition of invasion contained under the U.S. Constitution is not limited to hostile foreign states and can include hostile non-state actors. Uh, Brnovich wrote, quote, the violence and the lawlessness at the border caused by transnational cartels and gangs satisfies the definition of an invasion under the U.S. Constitution, and Arizona therefore has the power to defend itself from this invasion under the governor's authority as commander-in-chief, end quote. So you see what's happening there. You've got Arizona, they, they issued the very first legal ruling of its kind describing the crisis as an invasion, and so there's a lot of folks that are putting similar pressure on Abbott to do likewise. So that's one legal route that states are considering. In the recent Supreme Court decision, though, the most important question regarding immigration was not answered. And this is the question. Can a president just release illegal border crossers into the United States en masse? Federal law requires that border crossers be detained until they're either deported or granted some status, like asylum. DHS has the option of making them wait outside the country, hence the Remain in Mexico policy, instead. The only other option is a very limited authority to release them on 
quote, parole, end quote. That's on a case-by-case basis for urgent humanitarian reasons or significant public benefit. The plaintiffs claim that the administration is violating the law because it's neither making illegals wait in Mexico nor detaining them, but instead releasing them wholesale without any case-by-case consideration and without even pretending that there's any humanitarian urgency or public benefit. And they're right. And Roberts, John Roberts, specifically noted that those questions were not decided by the court in this ruling and sent them back to the lower courts. And here's the thing. The lower courts have already ruled against the administration on the narrow question the Supreme Court addressed. Mark, uh, Mark Krikorian of the Center for Immigration Studies believes, and this is, these are his words, it's a good bet that they, the lower courts, will rule that the administration's daily mass release of border jumpers is illegal and the case will come back to the Supreme Court where the outcome might be very different from the recent ruling. And, of course, that ruling was the Remain in Mexico policy that the Supreme Court said, yep, the Biden, wants, Biden administration wants to stop that policy. They can. So he's saying, and this guy's an expert. He's at the Center for Immigration Studies. He believes that we'll get a, a different result on that. In the meantime, though, thousands of illegals are being released into the country every day by the Biden administration. In my opinion, this is my opinion, something needs to be done now. And waiting for a new administration, if there is one, or on another Supreme Court ruling will be disastrous, especially in those regions specifically talking about Arizona and Texas, but there's other states in the surrounding areas that are impacted by this, and it's it's already coming to states like Florida and others that are, they're already ad- addressing this because they see the, the writing on the wall. And I think it's very, states declaring the border crisis an invasion and addressing the problem by that route could, three things could happen. One, at least allow them to slow the flow until a court or judge rules against them. Two, totally stop the problem as a court may side with them. And or three, just buy some time while the previous question from Biden versus Texas, this previous Supreme Court ruling, makes its way through the lower courts back to the Supreme Court. So I don't see this play of declaring this an invasion and going that route as being as going badly for those states. I think that they have a leg to stand on here. I think that the wording is there and there's an attorney general who said that this there's there's room for the, to make this argument and I think he's right. There's a lot of violence and lawlessness that's happening. Very hostile and uh, so I think they're right. I think that this, this argument is valid. And I think that Article 1 of the Constitution, because here's, I think, the bottom line intent for that law, for that, art, for that article, is to protect the state sovereignty. And thousands and thousands and thousands of illegals flooding across Texas and Arizona, that threatens their state sovereignty. And ultimately, it threatens our, our, the sovereignty of our nation. I mean, we, we don't have national sovereignty if our borders are wide open. 
We're not a country. You're not a country if you don't have borders. You're just a blob. People can come and go as they please. Anybody can stake a claim. That's what's happening right now. And so I think that that underlying with the the basis for that argument, allowing states to engage in war when they're actually being invaded or in such or in imminent danger, being able to engage without the permission of Congress is for the purpose of protecting their state sovereignty. In such a time as Congress cannot respond quickly. Now, the real problem here is that they will not respond. And this is going to force them to address the issue. People are going to have to put it in legalese whether this is an invasion or not. And if it gets defined as an invasion in court, then it will force the federal government to do something. And see, that's what all of this is about is creating that inroad of forcing Congress and the federal government to actually do what they are obligated to do ever since Texas joined the Union in 1845. Because when they joined, and other every state that's joined the Union submitted their authority to protect their own borders to the federal government. That was the agreement. And the federal government said they would take that responsibility, but they're not upholding their end of the bargain. So it remains to be seen, obviously, how this is all going to work out. But I think there's a, lo- there's a lot of credence to what they're doing. Uh, I think there's a lot. Uh, I-, I can get behind what they're doing and how they're doing it and how they're going to force the hand, essentially, of Congress. Problem is, is we all know things in court take a long time. And in the meantime, you got thousands and thousands of folks coming across the border every day. And it's just a very dangerous situation. And I would suggest to you that you be in real prayer for those folks who have to work down there, who are enforcing, uh, trying to enforce what little law we have regarding the border. And pray for the families in the areas and in the counties, uh, because I know that there's a lot of folks who feel very threatened right now. So uh, just be in prayer for those folks in that area of the country. So uh, I hope you have a great weekend and I'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to The Hannah Miller Show. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Productions. If you'd like to find out more about Hannah or to schedule her for a speaking event, go to her website, thehannahmillershow.com.